Thank you. Praise the Lord. Gail, if you will, wave to the folks, stand, let them see you. This is my first wife. And <laughs> I have followed her all over the earth. She is a missions major. It didn't start out that way. If you were in Sunday school, you found out that it used to be different. When, uh, when I approached her after we had, had married and got into the ministry and began pastoring the church we were at for six years, I guess i got to stand here so the camera can pick me up. Is that right? It's, I looked at the face of that train that's coming. It's, it's okay. It's all right. But um, I, I told her a couple of years before we left that pastorate about 50 or 60 miles south of here, I said, I, I, I said, the Lord's working in my heart. I said, I think we're supposed to be involved in India. And uh, she told me, she said, that's grounds for divorce. You never told me that. You never even mentioned that. It's just, it's not going to happen. But she is as sold out on the nation of India today as, as I am, our brother and sister Davis have been. And what a delight to have that first lady with me. And uh, we've dragged our children all over this earth, and they love the nation of India and uh, pray for us. They're praying for us today because we've got to be here, the new kid on the block. Uh, Martha's nephew's here. Uh, Honduras is here. Uh, Bangladesh is here. And these are all home folk. Josh is here. Where's Kai Alpha Josh? There you are. Great job this morning. Is that Caroline? That's Katie. Where's Caroline? I met Caroline when I came in the door. She's too, she's too young for this room. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm meeting folk, you know, that are, this is just home and I'm the new kid. So I got a, a uphill battle to climb. But pastor, what a man and his dear lady that are leading you love Brenda. What do you, what do they call, what do y'all call her? Just sister, sister, just Brenda. That's what I thought probably, but I didn't want to, you know, Brenda is a special lady. And uh, these folk, these folk, I don't know if you know it, but they have they have put their quality and their value, at least the good quality and value, into you. Because we, we didn't even get off of the parking lot. And Ronald, I think he said his name was Ronald, met me and he said, let me carry that. And I said, oh, no, that's fine. And uh, then he insisted, and I let him carry my bag in. He said, I'll put that somewhere. And I hoped that I could find it, you know, because... <laughs> I had put some notes on this iPad that I want to use in a little bit, but uh, uh, what what special people you are. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for praying for us. As uh, others have mentioned, Gail and I have been working in the nation of India. Uh, started in, in uh, a long time back when Noah got off the boat. And uh, we were next in line, it feels like, but uh, started over there in uh, 1978. And God has been good to us. He has protected us. You may remember that the Taj Mahal was attacked, uh, not, the, not the 
actual Taj Mahal, but the Taj Mahal Hotel in Mumbai was attacked a few years ago. Well, Gail had me in the city uh, on that occasion, and uh, we didn't go out of our apartment, didn't even open the door to step out into the, vest the, the passageway for one week because of that attack. We didn't know who was being targeted. The word got out that they were looking for people with American passports, and I said, brush up on your Australian. And, uh, and then we found out they were looking at, at Australians. I said, get into your British accent. And then we found out they're looking for British people also. And I said, just stay in the house and don't open your mouth because South Alabama is going to come out <laughs> if she does. And uh, yeah, she was born and raised in this nation or in this state. And uh, I'm from over yonder. I'm literally from out of town. But it's a thrill to be a part of what God is doing. He's establishing his church in the nation of India. Gail and I focused our effort and energy in what we felt God said to us on the city of Mumbai. I listened to... Was it this young man that just talked about the city that he's now moved into? It's got a population of six million. That's what Mumbai had 40 years ago. And today, it's got the population of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and West Florida that would all fit between here and Birmingham. It's a city that never sleeps. There's somewhere around 22 million in that city. And yet Jesus is building a church there. And there's opposition to that church. I got a note from Pastor Vinay on this phone back in October. He said, I just want you to see this. It was a newspaper article, and I'd show it to you, but you couldn't read it. And it, it, he said, it's... It's about the attack that's coming against us. They're accusing us of forcefully converting people to Christ. God is doing such a work that the enemy has to make up stories that are not true, trying to stop what is being done. And I thank God for the privilege of being able to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Gail and I established, personally, we established two congregations in uh, Mumbai in the last, what is this, 1989, in the last 20 years, and have turned those into the hands of local folk, and it's going on. We are helping other congregations and young pastors, uh, youth that are we're in Sunday school, going to get a little replay perhaps of, of some of this, because you came early. These other folk, you know, they slept late, and... Uh, so they came, wanted to know what's going on. One, one lady slipped in here, of all things, from the Church of God across town. So don't tell anybody where she is. But, uh, you know, she came. I met her. And I won't call her name because I don't want you to know who she is. And I don't want to, you know, but uh, she lives over. In, well, anyway. Um, but she came because of Mission Sunday. And, and I just, I want you to know she's, she's, she's reacting right now to what I'm saying because she realizes I'm talking about her. But uh, the, the, the Lord is building his church. Opposition is there. 
Southern Asia is probably one of the most difficult places in reaching souls as far as the opposition is concerned. And yet you really can't limit it there because you get into Turkey and uh, there's opposition there. You get into America and there's opposition there. Hello? But Jesus said, I will build my church. And he's going to do it through faithful people like those who attend First Assembly week after week. Like you, whose faces I'm looking into. Jesus is going to build his church through you. Missions is not only about going across the sea. Missions is about seeing the cross and going across the street. Missions is about touching lives. Missions is about going to heaven. How many of you want to go to heaven? I'm sure glad to see that. We got a busload that may be leaving this afternoon. Are you really anxious? Are you really ready? Do you really want to go? Or have you got $250 of stay here in a medicine cabinet at home? He's looking for people who want to be with him. And no matter what comes, no matter what we experience, no matter what happens, being with him is what we're living for. Look at your neighbor, if you will, and tell them, Jesus loves you. I know some of you have heard that before, but I just wanted to remind you of that. Jesus loves you. Don't know what your week was. Don't know what you've faced. Don't know what others have said, but Jesus loves you. Thank you for letting us come. Thank you for giving to help us, supporting us in the work that we're doing and, and helping establish the church there are young, young folk and pastors and their families that are establishing new churches in towns and villages in remote areas of the state of Maharashtra, India, where Brother and Sister Davis devoted their life in ministry for more than 30, 33, 34, five years, what, what, whatever it was. Their passion is still there. If you'd get around them and listen to them praying, I guarantee you they're praying about India, among other things. But those young folk are establishing the church. Those young folk are preaching the truth. Those young folk are preaching about a Christ who died, that soul, their soul of those that don't know the Lord God Almighty can come to know him, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And they're presenting him, and they're telling about who he is, and what he does, and what he has done. And lives are being transformed. People are being delivered and set free from the bondage of sin and the power of Satan. People are being healed of things that medical science says, I don't know what to do with this. I can't do anything about it. But Jesus steps in, and holes in legs that size, you can't see that 
that may be way back there, but I'm holding up a, uh, maybe a golf ball in my hand. Maybe it's a little bigger than a golf ball in, in, a, in a leg of a woman that was a Hindu that didn't know Christ. And, and her family had done everything they could medically, and, and they'd turned to their Hindu religion. They had turned to the Buddhists. They had turned to the Muslims. They'd gone everywhere they knew to go. And somebody said, there's a young Christian priest down in a village over so far away said why don't you call him and see what he can do and they called and asked him to come this happened to be a powerful prominent politician's wife that was ill and they called and the young fellow came and he shared the gospel of Jesus with them had prayer left a few weeks went by and they called him back and said please come this time, he didn't have to find his way and ask, where is this house? This time, there was a band, a brass band, waiting at the bus stand for him when he got off the bus with about 200 people to parade him through the streets of that town to the house of this politician. And he walked in and found the wife sitting up and carrying on her duties and the healing had taken place in her body and he was able to lead that family to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm talking about people that indeed are delivered from the power of any and every kind of disease all because he said, I am the Lord that heals you. He said with his stripes, you are healed. It's happening. The church, as you know it, as you read about it in the Word, the church is being established on the other side of the earth also. God is bringing lives into His kingdom. I want to talk with you for a few minutes and, and just help you to understand who we are, and I say that including Josh. I had to ask your name. I, I'm partial to women, and I got their names. But anyhow, I had to ask. I apologize. But you did a great job leading the worship this morning. But he, he's doing a great job, it looks like, sounds like, in Chi Alpha. And uh, the, the, the things that you showed, thank God for it. The baptisms in water, listen. When they identify with Jesus in water, the whole world knows about it. Life changes for them. I told Sunday school class uh, this morning that, that when they're baptized in water, often their families will have their funeral, literally, and denounce them. Their jobs will be closed. Their villages will outlaw them. So they have to go to a new place and start a new life just in their 20s because they dared to identify with Jesus Christ. But it's happening. Nearly 600 were baptized by these young 14 young pastors and their families that we help to support. Just encouraging them to stand in faith. Mainly we're trying to provide them a place where they can live and a place to have a base to work from. But nearly 600 were baptized in water in the 12 months of last year calendar year and I thank God for what he's doing we go back in in February we endeavor to see those works and encourage them and do what we can but God is building God is working and it doesn't matter if you're teaching children if you're working with 
women that have gotten into a life that for whatever reason, maybe their family sold them into that lifestyle, but now they're coming out and they're finding Christ. Jesus loves every one of them. Amen? You got your Bible? I want to read with you in the first chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is the writer, and he says in verse 13, 113, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. How many of you understand the old English? That's what I thought. That word let does not mean what we use it to mean here in this country today. Are you, any of you in... Um, into sports you know anything about 53 to any of you know anything about sports okay here you just nod your I got to get used to that you nod your head okay I thought probably you did are any of you involved in tennis you watch tennis or like okay some of you do when 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 the server serves that tennis ball there's usually a young person one on each side of the net and one on each side of the court and they're down so as to be inconspicuous and and they've got their hand up on that cable that the net hangs on if i'm right and they're there for the purpose of feeling if that ball touches the top of that net even imperceptively to the eye and just deflects it slightly and usually they cry out netball that's what we say today in this in this part of the world but originally in that game the word that was used was an old english word and it was this word let l-e-t with the meaning and understanding of hindered interfered with. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He said, I would have you not be in a state of not knowing, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let, hindered, hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you. Also, even as among other Gentiles, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. This is leading down into uh, the next, next of this passage that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. And then it goes into that statement that has so revolutionized the church back a few hundred years ago that the just 
shall live by faith. And so what I'm doing today is just taking this opening to look to you at how Paul, in the precision of his wording, led up to his valuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the assurance to us out of the Old Testament that if you're going to live for God, you're going to live by faith. And that's more than just sitting in a state of meditation only. That word that is used there for faith is a word that is actually a verb. Now, I'm getting way off in deep water because that was not my subject in school. But a verb, they tell me mostly, is a, is a word that conveys action. And the Greek invariably, Old and New Testament, it conveys an understanding of something that you do, something that you get involved in, something that happens as a result of what gets hold of your heart or your spirit in your life. Paul said, the just shall live by acting on this powerful gospel. Acting on the assurance that forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Acting on the assurance that I know him. And he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent of what he has said. But what he said, he will do. Talking about the Lord. He is faithful. I really like that song. That was great. He is faithful. And because he's faithful, I can strive to be faithful. I should strive to be faithful. And Paul says, I don't want you to be living in a state where you are not knowing. But I want you to understand I have tried many times to come to you. He's writing to the people in Rome. He said, I've wanted to be with you. I've wanted to do something with you. And that's here in this verse. He says, I want to have fruit. Among you. Now, he's not talking about oranges and mangoes and, and, and kumquats and all of those other things. Paul says, I want to have fruit among you. Let me take you back into the Old Testament, back before Christ, over 600 years before Christ came the first time. The Jews, the southern kingdom, were not living for God. They were not maintaining the standard of the Lord that he had placed upon them. And Jeremiah in chapter 25 and also in chapter 29, but especially chapter 25, Jeremiah said, straighten up. This is not King James. It's not even one of those translations you're going to find. He said, straighten up. Live your life like God told you to live. Or else God is going to call for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to come into the land and to destroy this city of Jerusalem and this temple and take you into bondage for 70 years. Now, if you know your history, you know that that took place. The short of it is they didn't straighten up. They were given an opportunity. In fact, over and over they were given an opportunity. And they did not straighten up. Nebuchadnezzar came in. Destroyed that city, took them captive. And at the end of 70 years, because Nebuchadnezzar and his empire only lasted 
for 70 years. But as they were taken in, there was a young fellow by the name of Daniel that may have only been about 14 years of age when he was taken out of his city and into that foreign land as a captive. And he had three friends of his. You remember them? He, he told me, check on Sunday school. He said, we're going to start with Sunday school, so there'll be questions and answers. And so I take that to mean he's wanting to see if you're learning your lessons. Daniel had three friends. Why do you give me their Babylonian names? They were Hebrews. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Uh, that, that, okay, I know who you're talking about. They were there. Ezekiel went. The bulk of the southern kingdom went into that land and were there for 70 years. At the end of 70 years, because Jeremiah had said it, the Lord told him before it ever happened, before they ever went, after 70 years, you're coming back here. And at the end of 70 years, sure enough, there was a fellow that was given the privilege and the responsibility to lead those who would go back to Jerusalem, back into that land. And not only were they able to go back, but they were given silver, gold, brass, temple vessels. They were given finances. They were given the means to be able to rebuild that temple by Cyrus, the Persian, a different empire. Actually, it was one of those leaders. The point that I want you to notice is this. Before Ezra went, they did not have, uh, is it, is it Loomis? Wells Fargo? They didn't have those guys around. And so they distributed all of these vessels, the gold, the silver, the brass, the precious metals and materials. They distributed among themselves to certain leaders. But notice what they did in Ezra chapter 8, if you will, beginning about verse 25. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it from verse 25 of Ezra through about verse 34. They weighed these things out. It wasn't just counted. They weighed it. And they said, we want you to get all of this to the city of Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, you're going to weigh it out before the high priest in Jerusalem so that we know that everything is accounted for. Look at your neighbor and say it was important. Look at your neighbor and say it was precious. Look at your neighbor and say, they were responsible. You, you, you're doing well. I know pastor doesn't want you to talk in church, but you see, in Bombay, Mumbai today, we get folk to interact. We get them to talk, and it's okay to talk if you talk when you're supposed to talk and only what you're supposed to say. All right? But you find that they got into Jerusalem and they weighed this material again. 
it was important that they have everything there. They were responsible to convey these things because this was what the house of God was going to be built from. Now let me take you to another area of thought. And I haven't forgotten that in verse 13, Paul said, I want to have some fruit among you. But in verse 14, Paul said something about being a, a debtor. Any of you ever heard of what they call chapter 13? The love chapter. Right, we're in church, and so I know where her mind went. I'm talking about filing chapter 13. <laughs> a different chapter, dear. <laughs> Thank the Lord that you know about the other. Paul uses a term of being a debtor. He said, he said, I'm a debtor. And you can be a debtor bankrupt, owe something that you, you can't pay. No way to pay. It's not a good place to be. It's not a, it's not a thing you should strive for. Turn to your neighbor again and say, don't, don't try to do that. But I want to submit to you that Paul was a debtor with something that he must deliver. Paul, you see, was a, a trustee of something. There was something that God had given to him that was more precious than what those Israelites had received in Babylon before they came back to Jerusalem that they had to weigh out to receive it and then weigh out when they dispersed it to be sure that nothing was lost. Paul said, I've received something that is valuable. I've received something that is more precious than life itself. And he said, I have been entrusted with this by God himself. He said, I have a message that must be respected and must be heard by all. And I'm debtor. He would say to others in another place over in Corinthians, he'd say, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I found a young lady out in the foyer, and she was, she was talking to me about who she was and what she did, and I think she helps with the little people, maybe the nursery, maybe the children. I forgot which, which she said, and and. Something was said about, does she preach? And I said, sure, she preaches. And she said, oh, no, 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 not me. I said, I got a feeling if I got you in a setting in a store 
aisle somewhere and something came up, I got a feeling some things would come out of you and you would be preaching. You may not preach a formal message in front of this room, but you'd preach the gospel because there was something in her. I sensed it. There was something in her that was precious. There was something in her that was dear to her. And like Paul, there is a push. He had a push in his spirit that had been bought with a price. But it wasn't silver and gold and precious things of this earth. It was bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was bought with sinless blood. It was bought with the life of God himself giving himself for Paul. Paul's debt was to be Jesus valued minister to be G, to be Jesus valued voice to speak a word in season to those who were hurting and needy trying to find themselves, find who they were, find what their purpose is in life. Paul said, I have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to God. I've been trusted with a debt to pay to God, and that debt is to be delivered to you, to deliver the gospel to you. And he says to these people, I'm in the will of God to come to you. And my coming is for fruit. I want to receive fruit. I want to open your eyes. I want to participate with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm pressed with an eagerness in me to do this, that's my responsibility. I want you to work with me and with the Holy Spirit in mixing together with you the blessing that results in the deliverance of the soul from the power of sin. Quickly, let me walk you through this word fruit. Lest you get off on, what is your favorite fruit? Just name it right quick. That's what I thought. We'd get a variety. All right. I want you to say this one word for fruit. In the original Greek language, which the New Testament's written in, which Paul's talking about and which the Gospels use, the word is carpon. That's good. Carpon. Follow her example. Tell your neighbor, because they didn't understand it. I don't speak southern Alabama. Tell your neighbor, carpon. Right? That's the word for fruit, carpon. It shows up about 70 times, I've told, in the New Testament. And I want you to look at some of the places where it is. In John, while you're turning to chapter 15, in John 15, you'll find the use of this word fruit. In chapter 14, Jesus has been talking to his disciples just before he goes to heaven. And he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He says, I've been with you. You have been under my care. I have provided for you. I have protected you. The enemy has come, but I have withstood him. 
in your behalf. Now, I'm going away. I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to give to you another comforter, a paraclete. I'm going to give you one just like me who's going to be with you. But more than that, he's going to be in you. That's the reason this coming to Christ is not just repeat after me so many words and it's over with. Did that pastor last Sunday say that 80% of those that just repeat those words after six or eight months have dropped off? It's not just repeating words. It's a work that takes place. It's the coming in of the Spirit of God. And then in chapter 15, Jesus continues to work and he says, I are talking, he says, I'm the true vine, my father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears fruit, bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, look at your neighbor and say, That's carpone. Okay? He purges it that it may bring forth more carpone. Now you're clean through the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much carpone. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth a branch and is withered. Men gather them, cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's two things. It's not enough just to have the word. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Drop down to verse 16. He says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth carpone, and that your carpone should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Paul is saying, I want fruit among you. I want carpon among you. I want to come to you and receive something of you and from you by the Spirit of God. Jesus is not out of context. Chapter 14, he's talking about giving a paraclete. Chapter 15, he's telling you how to bear that fruit with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, when the Comforter, that's the paraclete, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you shall also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is not just talking to his disciples. Tell your neighbor, he's talking to me. He's speaking to me. Jesus is including you. Chapter 16, verse 7. He 
says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But I, if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he's come, he'll reprove the world. Jesus is the one who's going to reprove. His Spirit is going to do the reproving. Verse, verse 12, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatever He shall hear, that shall He speak, for He will show you things to come. You say, where are you going with this? Well, I haven't really decided, but hang with me. We'll get there together. Jump into chapter 17. This is the chapter with the Lord's Prayer, remember? I know you thought it said, Our Father who art in heaven. That's the disciples' prayer. Chapter 17 is the prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father. Chapter 17, he's talking to the Father, and look what he says in verse 9. He said, I pray for them. Tell your neighbor, he's praying for you. I pray for them, not for the world, but for them which you have given me. How many of you said you want to go to heaven? He's praying for you. He loves you. Verse 11, now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you gave me, I've kept, and none of them I've lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Drop down to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. Look at your neighbor and say, He's not just praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. But he says, Father, I'm not just praying for them. But for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you love me. Fruit. How do you have it? Get in the Word and get into Jesus. Don't let this just be a Sunday morning thing or a Monday night thing. Didn't you say it's Monday night? Get into Jesus. Make Him the reality of your life. Make Him everything that your life revolves around. Make Jesus the center of your thoughts, of your attitudes, of your actions, of your words. Let Jesus Christ be 
the preeminent, pre predominant center of your life, that you may be able to be an extension of Him, an extension of His hand, an extension of His face, His love, that when people see you, they may see Him in you. You say, well, I just don't have much self-esteem. Well, get out of it. Get over it. The creator of the universe said he loves you. Your neighbor told you that, right? Well, if she didn't look back and say, did you mean me a while ago? Ask her, did you mean me a while ago? Jesus loves you. But he said, I don't only love them, Father, but he said, I love those whom they speak the word to. Hallelujah. You know what's happened? Because you've done more than just repeat words. Lunch is already here, right? Because you've... <laughs> because you have done more than just repeat words. You have invited Jesus into your life. It began with the Spirit raising Him back to life. It started with resurrection. And he imparted life into Jesus' body. And Jesus came forth from that tomb. And that same life was placed in you. Precious. Valuable. Beyond comprehension. Life. Resident in you is the experiential knowledge that I'm different. I've changed. Old things passed away. All things have become new. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? Can you say that to your neighbor? I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature because the Spirit of God did a work in me. I've led people in praying in, in, in India, but I endeavor always to tell them before we pray that it's more than just you repeating these words. There's something going to take place inside of you. If you believe that Jesus died for your sin and God raised Him from the dead, you can be set free from the power of sin. And there's something spiritual that's going to happen inside of your life when we pray this prayer and invariably there's a change that comes over them because the spirit of God comes into them and puts something valuable inside of them that will cause them to have the assurance that I am a debtor you may never stand in a pulpit and, and, and preach a formal message his pastor and those whom he invites to stand here have that honor and privilege. Doesn't mean that you're not important or that you don't have a role to play. You have planted in you something of value. Our stories may not end the same way. The outcome of our testimonies the end of our days may not be what we want them to be but then it doesn't matter I remember I stood here in this room several months ago and I reminded you of a fellow by the name of J.W. Tucker whom it took them 45 minutes with clubs and 
stones and broken glass beating him. And his screams could be heard blocks away until finally after 45 minutes he died. And they took his body unceremoniously in the back of a pickup truck down to the Bomokandi River in northeastern what today is Zaire and cast it in that river. And revolution came. And the king of that tribe sent to the capital city wanting some assistance. And they sent one man by the name of or called the brigadier. But he learned a tradition. And he called those elders together. And he said, there's a tradition among your people that you must give heed to and listen to the message of the man whose blood has flowed in your Bomokandi River. And he told them about J.W. Tucker, whom they had killed a few years before, whose body they had thrown to the crocodiles, whose blood had flowed in their river. And he said, if J.W. Tucker was here, he would tell you about a man named Jesus Christ who gave his life on a cross. And they sat silently listening. And a hush came over that meeting when he finished. The Holy Spirit descended. People began to drop to their knees and tears began to flow down their cheeks as they gave their hearts to God. Today there's over 50 Assemblies of God churches in that region of that country. Because a price was played. A seed was planted. Of all things, his name's gone. Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot went to the... The Aka Indians, the tribals in Ecuador, not far away. He held his hands up as they pierced him again and again and again with arrows, telling them, Jesus loves you. He and five other missionaries gave their life in that place. They had, they had weapons in their tents. They had guns in their tents. They never pulled them out to use them because they went to represent the one whose spirit dwelt in them. They had a precious, valuable gift in themselves. Paul said, I want to impart a gift to you, the gift of the Spirit. Graham Staines and his two young sons, Timothy and Philip, 10 and 7 years of age, were burned to death by a mob of 50 out in the state of Orissa, India, 
1999. Not because of converting. It was just politics. As I told you in Sunday school, we don't want anything to bother our politics. And the church bothers our politics because you change the minds of the people and the lives of the people. John Allen Chow. Ever heard of John Allen? Graduated from college just back in 14. Had heard when he was in high school about one of the most, most remote tribes of people on the earth, the Sentinelese, over in the Andaman and islands of the Bay of Bengal, territory of India. Almost 30 days ago, John Allen, because he'd never been able to get away from that impact on his life when he was in high school of these people, John Allen went to the North Sentinel Island in that chain. He went in there on the 14th of October, got in a canoe and went and landed on the shore, held up a Bible in his hands. He began to tell them, I'm John Allen. I love you. Jesus Christ loves you. They shot an arrow pierced his, I don't understand this, pierced his waterproof Bible. And he turned, got into his canoe, and hit him in the leg, wounded him. He went back out to the fishing vessel that had brought him to the island. The next day, John Allen went back on the 15th. A group of eight or nine tribals came they began to draw their arrows to shoot with their bows. And he lifted his voice and he began to sing praise and worship to his Master and Lord and Savior. And they dropped their arrows and the bows down to their sides. Silence came over that tribal group. He wrote some 13 pages in a diary, 14th, 15th, and 16th of October or of, of, of November. On that boat, as he'd come back, they destroyed his canoe. So he swam back. He was a very athletic young man. He's from the state of Washington, an American Chinese with a passion for Jesus. One of his friends said he knew what he was doing. Said he stayed in my home with me in, what is that, Bellingham, Washington, I think it is. And, and all he could talk about was his mission to the Sentinelese. Said he didn't date. He didn't want any broken hearts. He had a work that he had to do. 
He had a gift he had to impart. He was looking for fruit, fruit of the Spirit. He went back on the 16th. And they shot him through with arrows. When he was down, they came and put a rope around his neck and dragged him up and down the beach of that island. He's gone. I asked you when I began, how many of you want to go to heaven? I'm asking you again. Only three hands. Kind of changes the perspective, doesn't it? But I ask you, how much do you really want to go to heaven? This is not something to be sad about. Oh, I hate he's gone. But he knew what he was doing. He knew that to go back there on the 16th, he might not live because he wrote in his diary, he said, God, I don't want to die. But is this the last satanic stronghold on earth to hear the message of salvation before Jesus comes back? I am debtor. Want to die? No. Willing to risk everything for him? Yes, because he has risked all for me, and I didn't deserve it. And he's planted in you. Carpone. Precious, valuable Carpone, the gift of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the life of God, the message of the gospel that is powerful unto salvation so that the just shall live by faith. Paul would later write to Timothy and say, I've kept the faith, but my job's not over. There are others who will have to take my message and perpetuate it. And you have a gift in you. And you have fruit in you that God wants you to pass on to others. You may never go to Turkey. You may never go to Austria. You may never go to Honduras or Bangladesh or India or any of hundreds of other places that could be named. But if you go across the street and just share the message, if you say, I want to help that youngster that's struggling to be able to fulfill that call that she feels in her heart, so I'm going to commit month after month to sending, to helping your debtor. And listen to me, friend. It's not about seeing fruit. I don't know what will come out of what took place in the Sentinelese tribal people last month. 
after Jim Elliot was there and he and those five were killed and their bodies thrown into that river. A year later, other missionaries went and those Aka Indians were ready then to hear because those first five, six had not taken up arms against them and killed them, but had simply presented the peace-loving, peace-giver, life-giver, Jesus Christ. Don't go by what you see, but put forth the effort. Because whether you go and one person seems outwardly to have received and turned or not, whether you go and expend your life and see nothing that indicates that anything worthwhile has come out of you being there, or whether you go and your life is cut short. I want you to tell your neighbor one more thing as pastor comes. Point up to heaven as you say it and say, He is worthy of my effort. I'm debtor.